sleeping. Like dying, but without the commitment. Unknown. Man's time here is finite. But the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? All right, we're back. Uh, part two of Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Matthew Walker. If I have not said it enough, this book is blowing my mind. Like It is so densely packed with study after study showing the effects of sleep on the body, on every different system of the body, and the miraculous things that the brain does during sleep. And, and um, so it's been... An extremely fascinating read. As always, I'll put the link in the notes so you can purchase a, your own copy from Amazon. And um, I, I suggest you start sleeping. <laughs> so let's get started. Uh, part two. Again, I already I already reviewed the f- first part of this. So if you're just seeing this for the first time and haven't watched that other video, you may want to start there. But either way, it doesn't necessarily have to go in chronological order because the facts just keep stacking up here. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. He starts uh, He starts off this section basically talking about sleep in like your motor skills and the memory of uh, like riding a bike, for example, right? People talk about how it's like, it's just uh, uh, once you learn, you never really forget to how to ride a bike. And that's a motor skill, not a memory, right? Or not a data collection memory, right? Um, so he started digging into this based on this one experience. So he, he gave a presentation and this, uh, concert pianist came up to him and started asking him about, you know, like what happens in the night? Why I'm, you know, I'll play a song and I screw up in the same place over and over all day. I just can't get it right. And I go to bed and the next morning I can play it perfectly. And at the time, not much study had been done on that aspect of the brain working at night and sleep. Uh, the sleep had the effect of sleep on motor skills, but that stuck with Doctor uh, Walker here, and he he started studying it. And so I'm jumping in, kind of partway into this. Um, after the guy says, "I can just play," like the next day, I wake up and I can just play it perfectly. He said. I, on the other hand, remained in the auditorium realizing that this gentleman had just told me something that violated the most repeated and untrusted teaching edict. Practice makes perfect. Not so, it seemed. Perhaps it was practice with sleep that makes perfect. So he goes on to do this test and he has people learning a new skill on the piano, for example, uh, where they would just play like one, three, two, four, three, and uh, they would repeat that pattern. And someone who's never played the piano, you might they might be out of rhythm, they might have to stop and think about the numbers partway through or whatever. And so he goes, those who remained awake across the day showed no evidence of significant improvement in the performance. However, fitting with the pianist's original description, those who were tested after the very same time delay of 12 hours, but that spanned a night of sleep, showed a striking 20% jump in performance speed and a near 30% improvement in accuracy. Importantly, those participants who learned the motor skill in the morning and who showed no improvement that evening did go on to show an identical bump 
in performance when rested after a further 12 hours. Now, after they too had had a full night's sleep. So, if you learn something in the morning and then you try and do it again at night, you may not have much improvement. But after a day, a night's sleep, you try it again, you're going to have a significant jump in your efficiency, your accuracy, and those motor skills come. So, that kind of you know, give some, some substance to that idea of like, I'm, you know, I don't fear the man who practices a thousand kicks in one day. I fear the man who practices one kick every day for a thousand days, right? Now there's something to doing something consistently every day, which is, uh, you know, why you should have routine and things like that. You become efficient, you become effective. Your brain does a lot of work at night that you can't do while awake. I went on to test participants inside a brain scanner after they had slept and could see how this delightful skill benefit had been achieved. Sleep had again transferred the memories, but the results were different from that for textbook-like memory. Rather than a transfer from short-term to long-term memory required for saving facts, the motor memories had been shifted over to a brain circuits that operate below the level of consciousness. As a result, those skill actions were now instinctual ha- uh, instinctual habits. They flowed out of the body with ease rather than feeling effortful and deliberate, which is to say that sleep helped the brain automate the movement routines, making them second nature, effortless, precisely the goal of many an Olympic coach when perfecting the skills of their uh, elite athletes. Isn't that crazy? So motor skills get moved to sort of a... Um, subconscious level. I thought that was amazing. So now he goes on to do some research on like our performance in a physical athletic sense, right? And um, our athletic performance. He says, obtain anything less than eight hours of sleep a night and especially less than six hours a night. And the following happens. Time to physical exhaustion drops by 10 to 30% and aerobic output is significantly reduced. Similar impairments are observed in limb extension force and vertical jump height, together with decrease in peak and sustained muscle strength. Add to this marked impairments in cardiovascular, metabolic, and respiratory capabilities that hamper an underslept body, including faster rates of lactic acid buildup, reduction in blood oxygen saturation, and converse uh, increases in blood carbon dioxide due in part to the reduction in the amount of air that the lungs can expire. Even the ability of the body to cool itself during physical exertion through sweating, a critical part of peak performance is impaired by sleep loss. That's just like a ton of negative consequences. So if you are an elite athlete training and working to, you know, achieve something great at a highest level, you're really at a massive disadvantage by not being able to sleep sleep well and sleep consistency. NBA player performance. So they tested Andre Iguodala and looked at his performances when he got good sleep, like, you know, near eight hours versus when he was sleeping like five to six hours. And so more than eight hours of sleep versus less than eight hours of sleep. It shows this little chart in here where it has up arrows next to everything that got better when he slept more than eight hours. And he says he had a 12% increase in minutes played, a 29% increase in points per minute, a 2% increase in three-point percentage, a 9% increase in free throw percentage. As opposed to less than eight hours of sleep, he had a 37% decrease, or I guess increase, in turnover rate. 
and he had a 45% increase in fouls committed. So he plays less, he scores less, he makes worse decisions, he's um, less helpful for his team when he's sleep deprived. It's like everything's, you know, uh, certainly in the negative when he has less sleep. So all around for athletes, this is a massive uh, advantage to be able to sleep regularly and, and enough sleep. Skipping to the next section, you do not know how sleep deprived you are when you are sleep deprived. <laughs> and so they did some studies on people to see um, sort of their awareness around their baseline versus where they were at. And you almost establish a, a new baseline to the point where you just think that's your normal when if you were to sleep, begin sleeping consistently for a, an extended period of time, a lot of things would improve for you, but you don't really recognize the decline and you assume that's your, your normal. So re- returning to Dinga's study results, you may have predicted that optimal performance would return to all of the participants after a good night of recovery sleep, similar to many people's notions of sleeping it off on the weekends to pay off their weekend sleep debt. However, even after three nights of ad-lib recovery sleep, performance did not return to that observed at the original baseline assessment when those same individuals had been getting a full eight hours of sleep regularly, nor did any group recover all the sleep hours they had lost in the days prior. As we have already learned, the brain is incapable of that. In fact, participants in the above study started their nosedive in performance after just 15 hours of being awake. So then they start talking about uh, rates of car crashes and other fatal incidents and things, and they just go up. So when you have six to seven hours of sleep, they go up 1.3%. Five to six hours of sleep, 1.9%. Four to five, 4.3%. And then less than four hours of sleep, you're at an 11.5% chance of having a, a greater risk of having a fatal car accident. So... Sleep-deprived people are not safe drivers. You're not safe at anything. You're poor decision-making, bad management of emotions, poor food habits, less, uh, you know, less physical energy and output. It's just crazy. Okay. Emotional irrationality. When you're sleep-deprived, your emotions get a bit out of whack. So he says, analysis of the brain scans revealed the largest effects I have measured in my research to date. A structure located in the left and right side of the brain called the amygdala, a key hotspot for triggering strong emotions such as anger and rage, and linked to the fight or flight response, showed well over a 60% amplification in emotional reactivity in the participants who were sleep deprived. He later goes on to explain that it's not necessarily that you have like far more activity there, but the um, influence of your neocortex or frontal, your sorry, your frontal lobe, which is sort of the logical part of your brain, which is considered sort of the gas pedal or brake pedal for your emotions, um, that's sort of removed. So instead of logical decision-making in association with emotional reactions, you're just emotional. So you, you are so much quicker to rage, anger, also have uh, more intense swings of joy. And so you could go from like laughing to absolute frustration and anger very quickly. Um, And that has been shown to be somewhat associated with like drug use because um, 
when you're really happy or or really sad, you might make an irrational decision to to use you know drugs or alcohol or whatever and use them like liberally because your your again logic center is not necessarily controlling the emotion center and those swings are dramatic. Tired and forgetful. It's the next section. Dr. Robert. Stickgold conducted a clever study with wide-reaching implications. He had a total of 133 graduates learn a visual memory task through repetition. Participants then returned to his laboratory and were tested to see how much they had retained. Some subjects returned the next day after a full night's sleep. Others returned two days later after two full nights sleep and still others after three. As you would predict by now, a night of sleep strengthened the newly learned memories boosting their retention. Additionally, the more nights of sleep participants had before they were tested, the better their memory was. In other words, if you don't sleep the very first night after learning, you lose the chance to consolidate those memories, even if you get lots of catch-up sleep. So clearly I skipped a, a paragraph or two there, but if you learn something and sleep that night, your memory retention just goes way up. If you have multiple nights of sleep, it continues to go up a bit. If you remember, if you learn something and then don't sleep the first night, you lose the opportunity to have that retention. So you want to make sure that you're getting good sleep on days where you, you know, both before and after days that are significant, right? Learning or, or mastering skills or whatever. Sleep on Alzheimer's, diabetes, all these things, right? So we're going to go into some of this Alzheimer's business. And um, I'm going to skip a lot of it, but there are several good studies that he talks about done by this uh, person named Ned Nettergaard. Um, and, and Nettergaard found that there was sort of like a sanitation work uh, crew that goes on in your brain, right? It's actually called the uh, glymphatic system, and it cleans your brain uh, from the toxins that build up. I don't remember if I mentioned that there's a protein that tends to build up on certain parts of your brain that as that builds up, there's a tipping point where all of a sudden you, turn, you, you start having Alzheimer's. And so when you sleep, those, those proteins kind of get cleaned out of your brain by this glymphatic system and they actually use like cerebral spinal fluid to bathe the brain and, and clean it out. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, this is this is pretty wild. Nengard made a second astonishing discovery, which explained why the cerebrospinal fluid is so effective in flushing out meta metabolic debris at night. The glial cells of the brain were shrinking in size by up to 60% during NREM sleep, enlarging the space around the neurons and allowing the cerebrospinal fluid to proficiently clean out the metabolic re uh, refuse left by the day's neural activity. Think of the buildings of a large metropolitan city physically shrinking at night, allowing municipal cleaning crews easy access to pick up garbage strewn in the streets, followed by a good pressure jet treatment of every nook and cranny. So it's like New York City shrinking by 60% so that sanitation workers can go in there and clean it up. It's pretty pretty phenomenal so you're 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 the ganglia in your brain literally shrinks so that the cleaning crew can come in and do a good job of cleaning up the waste pretty amazing cancer heart attacks and a shorter life um 
there's been a ton of research done with heart attacks uh, on sleep, sleep and heart attacks. Uh, it is quite incredible. So he says sleep loss in the cardiovascular system, unhealthy sleep, unhealthy heart, simple and true. Take the results of a 2011 study that tracked 474,000 men and women of varied age, races, and ethnicities across eight different countries. Short sleep was associated with more than 45% greater risk of fatal and non-fatal coronary heart disease within 7 to 25 years from the start of the study. It's just a 45% greater risk. You don't want to have a heart attack. Get some sleep. Sleeping less than six hours a night was associated with more than a three times greater risk of suffering a cardiovascular or coronary event, such as sudden cardiac death. Three times. Adults 45 years or older who slept fewer than six hours per night are 200% more likely to have a heart attack or stroke during their lifetime as compared with those sleeping seven to eight hours a night. That doesn't scare you. I don't know what does. How does a lack of sleep hijack the body's effective control of blood sugar? Was it a blockade of insulin release, removing the essential instruction for cell to absorb glucose, or had the cells themselves become unresponsive to an otherwise normal and present message of insulin? As we have discovered, both are true. All right, one that might get the majority of uh, America's attention, (laughs) weight gain and obesity. So, is uh, you know what what effects does sleep have on what late gain weight gain? So first of all, there's a couple of hormones that help us regulate our weight or our appetite, I should say. Uh, leptin and ghrelin. One sort of gives you a sensation of like I'm hungry, and the other gives you a sensation of I'm full. And so when those you know those move according to how much you know intake you need and and things like that. And then when you've eaten a meal, you sort of feel satisfied. That goes down. Your your desire to eat sort of goes away, right? Well, when you are not eating enough or when you're not sleeping enough, both of those get out of whack. So they neither tell you you're satisfied. And the one, the one never tells you that you're satisfied, or at least not much. And the other one always tells you that you're hungry. And so you're basically getting... Um, slap twice for one offense and um, it's really difficult to manage your diet when you're sleep deprived and so he they went on to to sort of assess how many extra calories do people consume when they're sleep deprived versus when they're not when short sleeping the very same individuals ate 300 calories more each day or well over 1000 calories before the end of the experiment compared to when they were routinely getting a full night's sleep So scale that up to a working year and assuming one month of vacation in which sleep miraculously becomes abundant and you will still have consumed more than 70,000 extra calories based on caloric estimates that could cause 10 to 15 pounds of weight gain per year each and every year. So your um, body becomes basically unable to make the proper responses to food and therefore you're going, you're pretty much bound to make poor food choices. They went on to study what kind of food choices, right? Well, sleep-deprived people tend to eat more of the sugary, carby, um, instant blood sugar type stuff uh, than people who have good sleep. So not only are you 
feeling these desires for more food when you don't need it, you also feel the desire to eat worse food. So if you sleep well, your body will naturally help you have a, a good diet, right? Uh, one of, of healthy choices, but also right, correct calorie intake. They did a study where they controlled the intake of, of individuals, giving them the exact same food and everything, but then changed the amount of sleep they got. Although weight loss occurred under both conditions, the type of weight loss came from very different sources. When given just five and a half hours of sleep opportunity, more than 70% of the pounds lost came from lean body mass, muscle, not fat. Switch to the group offered eight and a half hours time in bed each night and a far more desirable outcome was observed with well over 50% of weight loss coming from fat while preserving muscle. When you are not getting enough sleep, the body becomes especially stingy about giving up fat. I thought that was fascinating. Okay, on the topic of the reproductive system. Take a group of lean, healthy young males in their mid-20s, limit them to five hours of sleep for one week, as a research group did in the University of Chicago. Sample the hormone levels circulating in the blood of these tired participants, and you will find a marked drop in testosterone relative to their own baseline levels of testosterone when fully rested. The size of the hormonal blunting effect is so large that it effectively ages a man by 10 to 15 years in terms of testosterone virility. Now, wild. Okay, jumping to the immune system. They studied, they, they basically gave people different amounts of sleep and then literally shot a cold virus in their nose and then tested what rates people actually acquired the cold. In those sleeping five hours on average, the infection rate was almost 50%. In those sleeping seven hours or more a night in the week prior, the infection rate was just 18%. So even though they were clearly exposed to the virus, having it shot in their nose, uh, only 18% of the people who had good sleep the week before actually got the illness. So now, also in vaccines, people who had good sleep and then got a vaccine had a much greater immune response than those who were sleep deprived. So those participants who obtained seven to nine hours sleep in a week before getting a flu shot generated a powerful antibiotic reaction reflecting a robust, healthy immune system. In contrast, those in the sleep-restricted group mustered a paltry response producing less than 50% of the immune reaction that their well-slept counterparts were able to, to mobilize. Similar consequences of too little sleep have since been reported for the hepatitis A and B vaccines. Maybe that's why this coronavirus vaccine's not taken. I'm just kidding. It seems to be uh, very helpful. But would it be better if we were sleeping more? Seems to be. Um, natural killer cells. So, so our bodies, you know, our immune system has these natural killer cells that attack cancers and and other illnesses and things like that. Right? He says. Irwin demonstrated that a single night of four hours of sleep, such as going to bed at 3 a.m. and waking at 7, swept away 70% of the natural killer cells circulating in the immune system relative to the full eight hours of sleep. 70%, which explains why, you know, so many more people got sick when exposed to the, the virus who were underslept, right? So anyway, that, that kind of wraps up 
part two of this big book review. I didn't give a lot of my own personal opinions, just mostly stats and data. But uh, as I said, this book is just completely filled with study after study, data points, things that demonstrate that sleep truly affects every aspect of our life, every system of the body, your ability to learn new behaviors, to retain data, to regurgitate data, to fight off illness, to perform well in sports and athletic events. I mean, it's just insane. So I'm actually going to do one more part. We're going to do part three of this book, which will be the end. Um, But if you haven't seen the first video, go check that one out. If you want to buy the book, which I highly recommend, I'll put the the link in the show notes so that you can uh, purchase that from Amazon. And um, as always, I appreciate you guys checking in and we'll catch you on the next one. Adios. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com store and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.